Welcome to In the Hot Seat with the Tenney Group. I'm Spencer Tenney. It's good to be with you. Today, we've got a great conversation headed our way with Brandon Knight from CLA. Brandon, welcome. Spencer, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm Brandon Knight. Um, I work with uh, CPA and professional services firm Clifton Larson Allen, or CLA. Um, I have the honor of, of leading our transportation and logistics group here for the firm. Um, we are a professional services firm and help with a lot of your traditional CPA uh, uh, responsibilities in terms of tax, assurance, compliance, things of that nature, um, but really differentiate ourselves in the marketplace with deep industry specialization. And so I have the great fortune of uh, uh, spending over 95% of my time with transportation and logistics clients, primarily trucking companies. Well, and I have the great fortune of learning from you uh, in this conversation, sir. So let's heat things up a little bit. So you mentioned your industry specialization. Uh, trucking companies have done pretty well the last two years. Let's talk about that. What what new risk has come of, of, of these recent successes for trucking companies, and how are you addressing those through your firm and through your team? Sure. So, you know, Spencer, I'd say one of the one of the unique things uh, that I've came across lately that a number of clients and prospects are reaching out to me is, hey, we've done extremely well these last couple of years. And as a result of that, we have a strong balance sheet. And that's good in many respects, but it also presents some additional risks um, that I think it's good to be aware of. A lot of folks and owners and operators probably have these in the back of their mind, but we might get busy working on the day-to-day -day, uh, and not have the ability to take a step back and think, all right, what should I be doing here from maybe a risk or financial perspective? Um, I, I'd say a, a, you know, a couple of those items that, that because we've done so well, we're sitting on a stronger balance sheet. And oftentimes, a lot of the situations now, my clients are sitting on quite a bit of cash. And that's a great thing to see those those big dollars in the bank account, but it also presents some some uh, some additional risks. So, tell us about a time where you know you had this client with with a bunch of cash. What were some of the things that were on the table to help um, put that to work to mitigate risk? What what was the conversation? Sure. So I, I'd say it it probably comes back to a, a few different things to say is that cash a good thing? First is entity structure. Um, there's a, a, a broad gamut of, of, of how different trucking companies are going to be structured. It might all be within one operating entity. We might have a holding company over that in numerous entities, a leasing company, an operating company, a brokerage entity, so on and so forth. And that entity structure plays a large uh, role in, in if this cash is okay in which entity that's in. So it's looking at where the risk is. Um, do we have the cash in the right place? And should we be maybe thinking about getting some of that cash outside of the entity or maybe putting it to some other uh, entities that are, that are maybe at less risk? Um, another thing I'd say is, uh, you know, uh, uh, insurance arrangements. We know that there have been countless nuclear verdicts over the past several years. And this cash is a target. This built-in equity in our companies is is a target. And so, I've got a lot of questions lately on uh, what's the right umbrella that I should have? How much should I be insured for? Because these premiums aren't cheap for some of these reinsurance levels. So what should I be doing uh, uh, with that? And I'd say a lot of that comes back to how much value do we have in the company right now? And is that the right answer? So I think that's really interesting. So what would be one of the most common missteps when it comes to having this you know, excess cash in a particular entity? 
what do you see as far as just one of the most common things that people can avoid as a result of watching this show? You know, I think one of the things we can do is let's assess and say, where is the risk? Where is the risk in our given entity structure? And that oftentimes resides in the operating entity. And what can we do as creative ways to maybe limit some of our risk in that given entity? And again, if we have a, a one operating entity, that might mean distributing some of that cash out uh, to the given operating entity uh, or to the, to the shareholders of those companies in order to reduce risk. Maybe that means restructuring some of our rates and pricing between different entities. So we're getting the cash and dollars outside of those operating companies to our leasing company, to our repair company, so on and so forth. That's really interesting. So, you know, a lot of times on this show, really what we're having as far as these conversations, it's the intersection between M&A and in this case, you know, uh, transaction advisory, um, CPA type uh, consulting, you know, the work that your firm does. And so where our worlds typically collide is, is kind of in that quality of earnings analysis world. So tell us a little bit about what Q of E is uh, and the role that it plays in transactions. Sure, absolutely. And, and I'll go back one time, uh, one second to Spencer, and then I'll get into the, the quality of earnings piece. You know, we talk about cash and strategy, and maybe we have a purpose for that cash, and maybe that cash uh, could be used uh, uh, to look for a new opportunity uh, in, in acquiring another business, right? So it all comes back to the strategy and what our plans are, and succession oftentimes is, is one of those plans, or it could be on the buyer side of that and looking for an opportunity. So how we, how we perceive uh, uh, quality of earnings is it's really a plan. And you know better than anyone that succession is uh, uh, has to be uh, uh, sitting right in front of our minds, making sure that we always have a strategy. And quality of earnings related to a sales process um, are really to get our ducks in a row, making sure that we go into a potential sale and exit, um, and we know what our plan is. We know what our strategy is. Right now, there's a lot of activity in the market. And anything that we can do to make the best case possible, to make sure we're in a good spot, limiting questions, um, really uncovering any concerns or skeletons in the closet prior to going to market, makes for that seamless process. And I think anything we can do on the front end to ease that process, to bring our best selves to the market is the right answer. That's on the, on the seller side. What about when you know your clients who are typically the buyers um, at what point are they using the quality of earnings analysis as part of completing a transaction? Sure. Yeah, I would say it would depend on the asset. It would depend on uh, uh, the reason for the acquisition. But from a buyer standpoint, um, they're interested in the quality of earnings really to fully understand what they're, what they're getting themselves into. Um, they might not have the time. They might not have the individuals on staff to appropriately assess um, a given opportunity. And so what they'll do is they'll hire a firm like CLA or other uh, firms that offer quality of earnings services. And what that process looks like is we like to split it in between financial and tax due diligence. And we'll go in and we'll really uh, look through a period of time. Maybe it's 24 months, 36 months, um, develop adjusted EBITDA and, and really work through where are the holes? what are normalized earnings? What's, what are we really acquiring here so that 
we don't have any of these horror stories uh, post-acquisition of finding new things out about the company. It's talking through management structure. It's talking through operating results and customer concentration, so on and so forth, so that we can really get a good understanding of, of what we're buying here. You know, and Spencer, one of the other things I'd say is oftentimes we might be looking at a company with uh, several owners, and you might have some conflicting opinions on if we should pull the trigger on a deal or not. And this quality of earnings helps, I think, the conversation move forward of, no, this really is what it is. And here's a third-party opinion on, on what we're truly buying here. I want to unpack one of the things that you mentioned about tax diligence. Help our audience understand and appreciate that a little bit more. What is the purpose? What is the goal of tax diligence? And, and, and what do um, you know, the players at the table gain from having that analysis done in the context of a transaction? Sure. You know, I, more than anything, it's limiting surprises. And and we as trucking companies have a lot of nuances uh, uh, related to tax. And that could be local, state, federal tax. Um, and, you know, I'd say it's split. And uh, you'd probably be able to attest to this better than I, Spencer. But depending on uh, the segment of the, the trucking company uh, that they operate within, we might see stock deals, we might see asset deals. But I think it's a misnomer that if we purchase assets, uh, we don't bear any of that risk because it, it, it could come down the pike to where we do uh, present ourselves some additional exposure. So what we do from a tax diligence perspective is, is look at the elections we've made and, and look to make sure that we have sound grounds for, for making those elections and the related filings in place. Um, we look at our exposure, our state exposure, our nexus, those sorts of things, uh, sales and use tax, uh, a big hot topic uh, in the trucking industry based on the high level of spend we have for equipment, um, for repairs, um, so on and so forth. So really going to, uh, through with a fine tooth comb to identify maybe where we have some exposure gaps and maybe on the flip side, some opportunities for improvement. Activity, kind of let, let's kind of get further away from the actual technical element of what you and I do sometimes that, you know, right now, lowest interest rates we've seen, um, Fed signaling uh, some changes around that, but let's just kind of look over the next two years. How do you think the changes in the interest rate hikes uh, or, or current rates is going to affect M&A in, in the trucking industry? Sure. So I, I think that uh, it's most certainly going to play an impact. I mean, uh, we know a lot of our trucking companies like leverage. It's a it's a tremendous tool for acquisition, um, for operating, so on and so forth. And and so when I look at opportunities, uh, we know that there's a lot of buy side opportunities right now in the marketplace. Uh, money right now probably isn't uh, any cheaper than it's going to get in the next couple of years. And so similar to the housing market. Um, if, if we're contemplating uh, taking on some additional debt um, uh, and debt facilities for purposes of an acquisition, now might not be the bad time to do it. You know, and I'd go back to uh, what we talked about a little bit earlier with too, with some of this cash or some of this built up equity. Um, some folks are thinking, maybe I'm going to pay down my debt. You know, I'm, I'm sitting on some excess capacity right now. I'm going to go ahead and use some of this to pay down some debt. And that might be a good thing in terms of cash flow. But on the flip side, you might say, hey, I have this debt at arguably the cheapest rates I've ever had. Um, it might be a, a better opportunity to hang on to some of that, look for an acquisition, look for other reasons to spend that money, 
as opposed to paying off our, our relatively speaking, cheap debt right now. I think that's a really great um, question to pose to, to business owners right now because I think that's especially because what we're seeing is so many first-time acquirers engage into M&A activity. Um, and that's not an easy proposition for them just to have all that cash and to go deploy it in a way that they're not familiar with. So what advice would you give to some of these first-time acquirers um, that maybe uh, that same advice has helped some of your existing trucking clients uh, kind of um, get into the acquisition game and, and find some success? Sure. Um, honestly, I think it comes to surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, you, you need the right deal. Um, you need the right advisors in those deals. And, uh, you know, make no mistake, when we're looking at acquisitions, uh, it's a daunting effort. It can be. And so it all comes down to planning. And that could be the quality of earnings. That could be uh, uh, adding to your internal bench and hiring in, in individuals to, to manage this, this new level of volume and oversight. Um, it really starts with planning and I think making sure that you have the right team. And, and maybe a lot of that could be on the internal perspective, but when it comes to advisors such as yourself, Spencer, um, tax, financial advisors, a good relationship on the uh, insurance and um, uh, banking side, all making sure that we're planning um, uh, on the forefront uh, to make sure that we're really positioned for success. I think that's pretty good advice right there. Um, curious, this is kind of a little bit um, outside of um, your direct world, but but certainly influences it. You know, we, we articles are just every day. We talk about driver retention and some of these things. Um, I'm curious because you mentioned the cash and the way to deploy cash, and so many of our industry peers have chosen to really go big in terms of driver pay as a, as a function of uh, either recruiting or retaining drivers. What's your take on, on the market right now as far as it relates to spending some of those operational reserves towards driver recruitment and trying to make some dents in that area? And that, you know, that's a significant challenge right now. Good question. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that too. Um, you know, on the, on the flip side, uh, well, I'll start with your direct question. Uh, I, I think it's needed, right? Everybody's fighting for qualified drivers right now. And, and I think that's the key word is qualified drivers. But I also think that, um, you know, when, when we look at uh, our ability to get our rates, our clients haven't been having, relatively speaking, a tough time in doing that. So we might see, I know there's been a number in the news lately of larger trucking companies uh, having significant pay increases, one of them more recently up 33% um, just a month and a half ago. Uh, I, I think that we've been able to absorb those increases because we're able to pass those costs on to our customers. And uh, I'm not saying that we haven't tried hard to get those increases, but Relatively speaking, because of the tight capacity in the market right now, we've been able to do that and pass those those price increases along. Um, I do think that there's an ability to to pay more um, in order to fill as many trucks and seats as we can. Um, I do. Uh, hey, I'm an accountant. Uh, I also worry about the back end of this. What happens if we lose a customer? What happens if uh, the rate start or the the market starts to soften a little bit? Um, what's going to happen to drivers if we need to relook at comp and say we need to adjust downwards or these increases aren't going to continue? I do get concerned about that. No, and, and noted. I, I don't, nobody has a silver bullet right now, and I think there's some folks that are making some bold moves. I think you have to be bold 
but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the coming months and, and how effective some of these um, strategies actually are when it comes to um, affecting retention and, and recruitment. So, so last question, um, and this has to do with, you know, there's a lot of folks right now that are, that are getting unsolicited offers for their business, right? And they, you know, they don't really have a desire to exit, but the, the market is as such for a lot of reasons that we just shared. It's about drivers, it's about scale, it's about capacity. And so a lot of folks that maybe have not been actively considering exiting are, are, are they have those options in front of them. What does it look like for someone in terms of a turnaround time um, from your firm or firms like you when they say, hey, we have an offer, we need a tax analysis on this to understand where we net out on this. What does that look like in terms of the experience that they could expect um, from a firm like yours? Sure. So do you mean um, unsolicited offer? We might hear of a, a ballpark in terms of price and what that tax analysis would mean in, in terms of net cash to them. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. It's, it's providing the net cash so that they can make a clear um, and confident re response to, to that offer. Yeah, um, no, great question. Um, I, I'd, I'd say, generally speaking, um, we would be able to do something like that in a few weeks, uh, two to three weeks. Um, you know, if we're looking at a full uh, sell side due diligence to, to fully quantify value or price or fairness, let's call it, um, a process like that could take longer. Um, right now, because the market is so busy, I'd say, um, you know, a month and a half, even up to two months at times. Um, but if we're looking for uh, uh, really a gut check, um, a, a good thorough analysis on really here's our price, assuming everything else is equal, what would what would uh, uh, the waterfall of of cash, net cash, be in our bank account at the end? Um, I would say two to three weeks. And I think that's really important to understand because um, many of our you know our our audience members looking at this, they they are getting those looks. And I don't think that that the buyers are typically like trying to put pressure, but but they are making decisions, and most of them are looking at multiple deals. And so I, what what usually functions best for our clients is when very early in the process, when we're able to provide them a um, a foreshadowing what the offers and what the structures are going to look like. If they're getting with folks like you at that point, then they then they're not in a rush. There's plenty of time to digest that information, and we can strategize around that without being under the gun uh, of trying to respond to an offer with all the extra pressure. And so I, I, I think that's really under, it's really important for folks to understand that's what the, a typical turnaround time is. So the answer is so you can be more decisive, get that information earlier in the process, um, anticipate what those things are going to be using your circle of advisors, and that way you can be much more in command and much more comfortable in the way that you respond to offers. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely, Spencer. And I think you'd agree with this too, in that it, it really goes back to the planning phase. And having succession planning is tough. And especially if we have multiple owners in place, especially in many cases where we're dealing with family legacies, uh, maybe we have some children in the business, these are tough decisions to make. And so I think building this, this strategic plan, this succession plan, whatever that might look like, if it's succeeding it to the, the you know uh, third party um, uh, in the market, if it's succeeding it to our kids, really having a good understanding of what our numbers are, what is our ultimate goal? Because 
if there is an unsolicited offer and your plan was to sell in six to 12 months anyway, and this is a good deal, well, now might be the time. Conversely, if you don't plan to sell, um, if, it, if it is part of your plan to succeed it to your kids, well, then, then we know that it's a no. So I think it's additional time now uh, spent on what that succession plan looks like, but it creates a lot more flexibility and I think tempers uh, some of those stresses that, that deals can bring down the road. I love it. Brandon, I appreciate you, sir. That's going to do it for our time here in the hot seat. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge of what you do with your team there at CLA. That's going to do it. We'll see you next time.